0: Women are actually better investors than men. I know that we see all these examples of Warren Buffett and everything else, but when it boils down to like the day-to-day average investor, women actually make better investment decisions than men.
1: Welcome back to Home Mamas Podcast. We're here to give you tools, resources, and evidence-based information so you can make the best decisions for yourself and your family. Whether you're trying to conceive or navigating life with a toddler or a teenager, we got you covered. I'm Dr. Ilana Romel, pediatric naturopathic doctor and creator of Med School for Moms, an online resource where I teach moms how to safely be a doctor mom. My co host is Stephanie Granke, registered dietitian and program manager for Home Mamas Club. She's also the co creator of Home Mamas Pregnancy Program and upcoming postpartum program. Today, we have Tanya Rapley as our special guest. If you don't follow her work, please do. She is amazing. You can find her on Instagram at MyFabFinance. Now, Tanya is a money expert with a passion to help women's financial health. Her mission is to help women own their power and break the cycle of living a paycheck by paycheck so they can live free and do more of what they love. Now, in addition to being a mom herself, she's also an author of the Amazon bestseller, The Money Manual, a practical guide to help you succeed on your financial journey. And in addition, she's a co-host of the Colorful Live podcast. Now this was a really fun interview for me as Tanya brings a positive light to what we are all experienced as financial stress and fear during this pandemic. She gives us great tips and answers a dozen of your community questions we got from you mamas. So listen to the end to see if your questions got answered. There are just so many great pearls in this episode. Now let's transition into our interview and invite Tanya on today's show. welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you as a guest. I don't think we've ever done a show on the topic of finances and money. And so I'm actually selfishly really excited. I get dorky about this and I love managing our finances. It's kind of the role I take in our house. So thanks so much for your time. I'm excited to learn from you and to share you with our audience.
0: Thank you so much. I'm looking forward and I'm honored.
1: Great. I love it. Well, as you know, we start all of our episodes with the nourish yourself segment. And so my first question to you before we get into the show is what did you do today to nourish yourself?
0: Uh, today to nourish myself, I did this, um, beautiful, emotional body scan, breath work meditation that just, oh, it made me feel all types of yummy mm. inside awesome. How long do you do it for? So this one was a 20 minute meditation. It was a 20 minute guided meditation.
1: Great. I love it. And then Tanya, do you have any kids? I
0: don't know this about you. I do. I have a very active and curious 17 month old.
1: Oh my goodness. You have a small baby. That's awesome. Uh, I have, um, he's almost six months and then I have a toddler who's three. And so, yeah, so I know what it's busy, but why I ask is, were you really able to do 20 minutes without the interruption? This is amazing.
0: It was during his nap time. Great job. Generally, um, I'm very intentional about my self-care because the months leading up to being intentional about it, um, my body definitely started to react to not being intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my husband usually either I'll meditate first thing in the morning, like i get out of bed and like he'll handle the baby that morning or I'll do it while he's taking his nap. Mm,
1: I love that you're prioritizing and teaming up with your husband. That's excellent.
0: He knows if I don't do it, like. He, he knows how important. Yeah, yeah. well, he kind of gets the other side of
1: you, probably. So that's great. I love that. Well, today, what I did to nourish myself was really simple, but I'm just intentionally drinking more water. I'm I'm realizing now that I'm like, you know, at home all day every day. I'm not like taking my water bottle out and about, and my water bottle is this like big forty ounce water bottle that I know, like okay. I need to at least fill this up two times a day and drink it all to get all my water in. And I realized without having that water bottle, I'm kind of skimming on my water. And so I'm just being much more intentional about how many big glasses of water I'm drinking and even using my water bottle even at home. I don't need to be out and about. So that's really nourishing. I actually feel really good drinking a lot of water. So it's just it's nice to feel that way again.
0: Eighty ounces.
1: Yes. My oh my goodness. Yeah. I and what's am... crazy is when you're pregnant, it's one hundred ounces.
0: <laughs> oh, I was so thirsty when I was pregnant. Oh, right. and your your baby is like three months. Yeah. Um I don't know if you're nursing, but I remember, yeah, when I'm still nursing, but my son is um he's eating full meals yeah, and so forth so now, so the much. demand isn't there. Right. But I remember like when I was pregnant and at the beginning of nursing, I was like I was drinking so much water and it's the opposite for me actually is I drink less water when I'm on the go versus when I'm in the house. How That's funny. Isn't
1: that fun? Well, it's just so different for everyone, which is good. You just know that about yourself. For me, I know this about myself. So you just have to modify. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into money. This is so cool that this is your niche. I mean, who doesn't have money to manage and work with <laughs> or who doesn't have a story about money or fears around money? Or I just think it's something that we probably don't talk enough about even in like our friendship circles, right? It's like, you almost don't want to see it because what are they going to think and what are they going to do? And so I I love the work that you do. I've listened now to a few of your podcasts. I, you know, your website's awesome. You've got such great content. And so I just think you're going to be a great asset to the moms listening. And especially during this time of COVID, where if you weren't worried about money before COVID, now you're worried about money because everyone right now is kind of trying to figure out what to do. And I think that there's a great opportunity here to really learn and feel empowered and to have a different um, mindset around money. And I know you're just such an expert. So let's first start talking about just who you are. You know, I know you, uh, Stephanie, my co-host knows you, but our guests may not know who you are. Tell us a little bit about who you are and and just how you even became a money expert to begin with.
0: Yeah, Um, so I... Oh, who am I? That's a big question. Uh (laughs) But um, I mean, at the base of it, I'm a certified financial education instructor. I'm a mompreneur uh, and best-selling author. I started teaching financial education in 2013. That's when I well, I started my blog in 2013. I didn't officially start teaching financial education until 2014. Um, That was when I went and got my certification to become a certified financial education instructor, and. Uh, growing up I definitely struggled with math like I was an A student until it came to math and you know I think that I was internalizing a lot of the messaging and so forth around girls and how they perform in math and the expectations that my teachers have for me when it came to math and even my parents but um, I just wanted to avoid it I hated it and so when it came time when I started writing my blog My Fab Finance I definitely had to navigate my own feelings of inadequacy when it came to money and numbers. And I realized that that was going to be my strength in how I talked about money to my audience. I was going to talk about it and communicate it, communicate about it in a way that it was not daunting, that it was bite-sized, it was understandable, actionable, and it was created to empower and not to confuse and encourage people to, you know, go hire an expert or, or hire someone who would benefit from them needing their services. Like I wanted to put the power back into the hands of individuals like myself. So that's my reason for starting My pet Finance. Today, I've been in business now for um, seven years. I've been a full-time entrepreneur for five years. And much of my focus centers around helping people break the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck so that they can do more of what they love. Um, now I am seeing myself shift Um, there's a shift that I feel is demanded of me as a person and where I am in my journey now um, to focus more so on helping people lead lives that they love and um, using money as like a power tool Mm -hmm. in that realm. And so, but it, it does still center around financial wellness, financial freedom, untangling some of those financial behaviors or beliefs that we've adopted from our own lives or from, you know, even generational trauma and just doing work to make people whole when it comes to their money and their their self-worth
1: who wouldn't want that i'm sure you have like this whole list of people wanting to work with you i think it's awesome and i find that it's interesting that we don't get this kind of financial education or definitely financial like empowerment and what's weird to me is like everyone on earth has money to manage in some way or another and we're just not taught this in school so what is like your approach to financial education like what if someone if they come to you what what do they expect to to get out of your approach
0: yeah, you know, and you know, people always ask me, like, why isn't financial education taught in schools? And people need to know this. But I always say that society doesn't necessarily benefit from a financial literate population. If we look at it, we're a highly capitalistic society. We, the society and businesses who make the, you know, let's quite frankly call the shots and fund much of our government and so forth, or the politicians in power, like they benefit from us buying things and making financial decisions that aren't always in our our best interest. And so that's one of the reasons that I feel like financial education isn't as um, taught or as widely, um, is not recognized um, for the, as important as it is. But as far as when someone is working with me, it is coming. They come into this situation with me understanding that, with me understanding the the dynamics and the economic forces that are in play. That encourage them to spend against their better interest and so there is compassion there is understanding but there is also tough love i always say you know i don't approach financial education from the perspective of like your mother or you know your teacher or something i always say like i'm like your cousin or you're like that relative that you really like when you get around at family gatherings and you just really like talking to that cousin you're excited to see them because you might only see them one time a year or once every two years or so but you really like like how they talk to you about things mm-hmm. and they're just so knowledgeable and they add to your life. That's my goal. That's my, um, that's my approach when it comes to working with individuals. And, um, over the years, as my work has scaled, I don't get to work with individuals as I once did. Now I do have a membership group and they get my, um, undivided attention. Yeah. My work is changing as the demands of my life change. And as I'm now a mother and that's mm-hmm. <laughs> the great equalizer. So. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely, That's great. Well, I've heard some of your interviews in the past. You would talk about how people overcome financial fears and how you teach people specifically that. Can you maybe give us an idea of what that means and also how it may be associated with someone now during the pandemic and what may be coming up for them?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, One of the fears that a lot of people have and have been magnified by the pandemic is that they won't have enough money they'll run out of money somehow or they won't have enough money or their the source of their money will dry up that's an ongoing fear Uh, people had it before the pandemic and now it's a fear that's actualized as a result of the pandemic for several people and one of the ways that i get people to confront this fear is asking them okay so if that was to happen what's the worst that would happen because a lot of times we have these fears and we we don't think through okay so what if this fear becomes a reality we just are in fear of it actually happening but after it becomes reality okay where do we go from there what do we do because oftentimes we've been confronted with um with fears in our lives and we dealt with it and we you know once we navigate through we're like oh wow i made it to the other side so what does it look like if this does happen and what does it look like to get to the other side um usually when i ask people what's the worst thing that could happen if their fear of not having enough matriculated it is well you know like i wouldn't be able to pay my bills and so forth and we might lose our home it's like okay so then what happens after that because Fortunately enough, for a great majority of us, we have support systems that we wouldn't necessarily want to call on, but we do have them available to us. So when I when I started my business and I asked myself this question, it was like, okay, but what if you don't make enough money to pay your bills? It's like, okay, well, then you might have to move in with your sister, or you might have to move in with your parents, or you might have to get a roommate. Like, it wasn't as terrible as i was making it up to be when i actually asked myself what if Mm -hmm. and so that's one of the things that i ask people a lot of times when it comes to their financial fears and even in this pandemic like i said a lot of people's fears are being um actualized in this moment but then also saying okay so this is the best possible time for this financial fear to come to fruition and i say that because everyone is being affected by this pandemic like literally is global it is not just something that's happening in one city it's not a natural disaster that happened in a rural town it is something that is impacting everyone and as a result of that people are understanding people are sympathetic companies are doing things to support their customers mortgage companies are offering mortgage forgiveness landlords courtrooms are closed so they can't even file eviction notices and so forth or you know move to evict and so understanding that, okay, this is happening, but this is probably the best possible time for this to happen because I'm going to be given more time and grace to navigate this in any other any other time than this, anything, like if, it, eh, if this was to happen just to me personally. And um, so it, sometimes it is reframing and stepping back and looking at the situation as a whole, then just looking at the particular fear that you have, especially when it comes to money.
1: I find that to be really powerful in what you said, there is an opportunity here and as scary as as it is, you're giving so many tools in, well, take it a one step further. What if this were to happen? Really actualize that, right? And then face that so that if we can overcome our financial fears now, who could you be after this pandemic? You know, just imagine what's possible in there. And I think everyone's fears are so different and so unique. And I'm sure there's stories from something from their past or how their parents managed money or something like that. Would you say your background also Created who you are and your financial fears. So you're seeing like it can really be different for everybody and where it comes from. Can you speak a little bit on that?
0: It definitely can be different for everyone. My background as it relates to um, the financial fears that I had, you know, I think that I was slightly naive. When I started um, my fat Finance, and I didn't really have as many financial fears then as I do now, I think for me, my biggest fear is like, what happens if I have to go work for someone else again? Because I've enjoyed the freedom that I um, have created in being an entrepreneur and being able to sustain myself as an entrepreneur. But thinking about my upbringing, it was my parents were both career military. My parents had a certain security that other people whose family families weren't in the military, didn't. Both my mother and father were in the military. And the military is one of those career paths where it's kind of like, you really have to do something to lose your job. Or like, it's not like it just happens suddenly. You don't go into work as, a, you know, in the military and they, they're issuing layoffs. It's just, that doesn't happen. And so um, given that that wasn't part of my reality growing up. And then when I got my first two jobs out of college. I lost my first two jobs out of college cuz I graduated at the height of the last recession in 2007 and well when it uh, the onset of the 2008 recession. And so I lost my first two jobs out of college and I was like wait a minute like I never saw it growing up. This is not supposed to happen. Like what people, this, this is what it's like to lose your job? Like, oh my gosh. I felt like I wasn't as prepared for things because I chose a different career path for my parents. My mother and father didn't have to worry about retirement. They didn't have to make, They investing was not important to them because they knew they were gonna retire from the military. They were gonna get their military checks. My father just is about to retire from his second career path, but it's in the government, he works for the state. So my reality has just always been different from theirs. So the maybe now that I think about it, one of the fears I did have was, what if I'm not making the right decisions? What if I'm not doing the right thing so that I can be as financially secure and set as my parents are in their old age? And what if I become a burden because I don't want to be a burden. My parents aren't a burden to me. And I'm so thankful. And I always say that it's one of my privileges that they are self-sufficient and that they don't require anything but my love. And like, that's it. But my fear is like, what if I'm not setting myself up to be that for my children? Mm
1: Thank you for sharing that so vulnerably because, you know, we have mom listeners here. And so we're all moms trying to prepare for the best future, not only for our own happiness and joy in our careers, but also really for our families and our future, you know generations, right? These unborn children, potentially. And it is very scary right now because we don't even know what to expect with the economy. You know, We, we don't know what to expect with our jobs and or if there's an entrepreneur listening. We don't know what to expect with our sales and such. So what is some advice you can give to a mom just kind of worried about what the, all the unknowns and what they could do to just help prepare themselves so that the fear doesn't take over?
0: Yeah, I mean, the first thing that I want to do is be a beacon of hope and a reminder of light in this scenario, and it is... To understand, like this has happened before. Um, not a pandemic. Well, I mean, a pandemic did happen in 1918. Um, but as far as a recession and a recession at a great scale, you know, the country we overcame the the Great Depression. We overcame the recession of 2008. This is something else that we also will overcome, and it's scary because the way that it's happening is it it just most of us got blindsided. Like it, I knew things were happening. And things like the economy was, you know, we were um, about to approach a recession. I did not expect it to happen the way it did, where mm-hmm. everything shut down. But now, in the hindsight of now, like in the midst of it, just understanding and I, what I always do is I look for um, qualifiers. Like to the news, they look for like outliers for like worst case scenarios usually because they want to sensationalize it and you know just. Get, make people fearful, like, okay, I have to tap into news because I need to see what's going on next. Instead of looking for outliers that are evidences of success, look for people who were successful during the last recession. Look for businesses that were established as a result of the Great Depression. Look for success stories instead of the contrary because those are also going to inspire you and remind you that you are capable and powerful and able to navigate this situation. But then also be open to receiving support if you need it. Be open to receiving the support that is being offered. I have spoken to people who are like, no, I'm not gonna apply for unemployment. And it's like, why not? why aren't you if you are not working right now and you have you, you have children and you have people who are responsible who you're responsible for even if you don't have children or people you're responsible for unemployment is because you've been working yeah like you you worked and you put into the pot you pay tax and so forth for the most part you can't get unemployment if you weren't contributing and so like getting what resources and tools are available to you to support you during this time restructuring Um, also you know i some people are like okay i have money in my 401k is this time to pull money out my 401k do i need to do this um sometimes you have to do what you need to do in this moment to survive and then that way you can also think clearly about what the next steps are afterwards so if you need to support yourself by doing something of that nature like taking out a 401k selling a handbag collection whatever it may be um so that you can think uh and you can ground yourself. yourself and get in a more stable mental position where your basic needs are met and everything so you can decide what the next best step is for you, then do that. It is okay. It's okay to be supported in this moment. It's okay to take advantage of the resources that are available in this moment. And it's okay maybe to do something financially that might come with penalties, but will help your situation now so that you can make the best decision about how to fix that going forward.
1: That is excellent advice. Thank you so much. I think that's going to help a lot of people. Um, you know, in your work, you talk a lot about a money story. So what is a money story and why is this so important?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think enough people realize that everyone has a money story. I remember when I was talking to my husband and I asked him, what's your money story? He's like, I don't think I have one. I was like, oh, honey, you have one. And I started to tell him his story. And um, I was like, <laughs> let me tell you position. what you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we all do have a money story and that largely is relation to how we grow up, what we witness in the households that we grew up in, whether that is a household that is composed of our maternal, And our mother and father, or um, a relative, or so forth, or even in a group setting. We all are like that, all impacts how we relate to money, how we think about money, and what we think money will provide for us going forward. Um, But it doesn't just stop there. One of the things that I'm also digging into is like generational trauma when it comes into money. What were your grandparents' beliefs when it came to money? What were your great grandparents' beliefs when it came to money? Me being um, a woman uh, who is African American, I think about. that a lot and actually just shared on social media today about how I'm working to change my relationship with work because for so long is um, as a person of color like my value was assigned with my output and like the ability my ability to work that is ingrained in my money story, because then I have this uh, this belief that I won't have enough money if I don't work hard enough, and I won't get things of value if I don't work hard enough. And that isn't necessarily true, because I know and I've seen evidence that I know people who work extremely hard and are not financially free and are are you know financially insecure and so that's one of the elements of my money story that i had to navigate and i'm continuing to navigate but thinking about your money story, it's like what are all the dynamics that were at play in your household in your parents households um that affect how you relate to money today that affect how you relate to yourself today and the things you believe about yourself today and um how that ultimately affects your bank account and your financial standing as it is now.
1: Mm, I love that. Can, can I share my money story? I'm just thinking about Jeez, it.
0: Please, please. I, do. I don't know.
1: Maybe it is, or maybe I'm wrong. But I think my I think my money story is about how you can only earn money if you work really, really hard, and it can't be fun. Like, you can't just make money so easy. So again, this the cliche is, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, mm-hmm. so you have to work really, really hard to make money. And so, as I've kind of grown up, and um, I, I went to a naturopathic medical school, I worked really hard to get my degree, and I was working really hard seeing patients, I always felt like, yeah, the harder you work and the more burnt out you are, the more money you can make. And then, mm-hmm. when I started realizing, like, wait a minute, you don't actually need to be so burnt out to make money. Are there other ways? Are there other possibilities? And you start having to like break these stories because I was like, I can't, I- I'm wearing myself out. Like, I can't do mm-hmm. this. And so I just thought that that was interesting. So, that would be a money story, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, so like you're like, what is life? What is this? You know, I'm not enjoying this the way I thought I should. And yeah, that's right. an example of a money story. Um, another narrative um, was, you know, also um, my, m- my grandmother, she never worked outside the household. And that was also a money story that um, my grandfather, as a result, he controlled the finances. Even when he died, like he set up some of his money in a way that it was difficult for my grandmother to access it and so forth. And he was just very controlling when it came to money and the belief that if I don't have my hand in the finances in my relationship, then my partner is going to sabotage me. Mm. And that is the truth for some people. Um, and you know, I mean, I can't, I was in a financially abusive relationship in college, so I understand that too, but everyone's dynamic is different. And, um, not assigning that To my partner, um, and also relinquishing control and realizing like we can create a different dynamic, um, was is also important. And so, you know, there can be different layers to your money story. There can be different elements that pop up. So many things. You know, I another one is um, feeling inadequate and feelings of inadequacy can drive you to spend money because you know you you're trying to buy approval or you want to belong and so i know you know me being a military kid moving around quite a bit and so forth sometimes being the only black child in the school and so forth i my, i wanted to have things like i wanted the starter jacket like when i was in, high, in elementary school it was like starter jackets so I, I wanted the the jacket i wanted the sketchers and everything else so that i look like i belong and as I became older that I didn't release that. I didn't release the feeling that I had to look like I belonged or seeking value in my personal belongings or my personal appearance. And so as I made more money, I also spent more money on things that helped me validate myself through personal appearance. Mm -hmm. And um, that's also a money story that plays out in a lot of the clients that I work with. And they don't even realize it, that they're buying things at the age of 32 because of um, unresolved issues or pain that they experienced when they were 9 years old and so it it, it runs deep um, but they, it can be addressed. And it's one of those things that you have to on, you have to address consistently. It's not like, okay, I listened to this podcast and I know what my money story is good. Glad I got that done. So no, you still have to ask yourself questions when you're making financial purchases of decisions. Is this because of my money story? Like, why am I doing this? Am I buying this because of this? Am I buying it because of that? So, so, you know, it's an ongoing journey. Mm-hmm.
1: That's great. You know, I'm just thinking about maybe some of the listeners, what they can have. And I'm thinking of maybe some of the stay at home moms who aren't generating revenue for their family and they may have a story of well if I'm not generating revenue then I don't deserve to buy this Mm. can you speak on that because I just these women are some of the most superpower women that I know and they are so deserving and so if you can speak on that I would love that
0: Let me tell these stay-at-home moms something. (laughs) I love it. After (laughs) being with my son for the past seven weeks, 24-7, it is the hardest thing I have ever done. I called my mom and I was like... I don't know if I'm a bad mom. Like, <laughs> I'm just tired of him. I love him, but I wish I could take him to daycare. Like, I just yes. need my time. So, for stay at home moms, you are superheroes. And if anything, you are more deserving mm-hmm. because you are literally the engine that keeps the household going. And it is important for a spouse to understand that and to value that. And, um, even, you know, even though we've had support and so forth with my son, my mom always, like, when I had my son, my mom told me, she was like, that I was in the car crying one day, I remember, and I was like, I'm just so tired, I don't feel like it's equal, we're both parents, my mom was like, it's not ever really going to be equal, as a mom, you're going to do more of the work, because you You're like, you're the mother. It just kind of happens like that for a lot of women. Um, But it is also important for your husband to understand your workload and your capacity, like what you're doing. And so for those moms who, you know, are feeling like I don't deserve anything. Yes, you do. And if your partner is echoing that, then they need to they need the ability to see what you deal with on a regular basis as a stay at home Mm -hmm. parent. So that means maybe like right now, while we're in this pandemic and you know, your spouse is working from home, maybe you go for a walk and leave the kids with them. So they can see, just get a glimpse into what your day looks like so they can understand just how hard you are working and also echo that you are deserving as well. Um, Because you are, motherhood, this is one of, it is the hardest job because It's so emotionally taxing um, and it's physically demanding. It literally is physically demanding. I was talking to my chiropractor and like my hips have shifted as a result of um, labor and carrying my son and, you know, picking him up and carrying him and so forth. Like my body changed. Your body literally changes. It is physically demanding work and you deserve to be compensated in so many ways. So um, I hope that I just... Give yes. a mom who's listening to this the courage to say, you know what? I deserve. Yes. <laughs> I deserve.
1: Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. I've chills all over my body. I, again, I find these, like you said, they're super women. They are just incredible and they really do deserve. And I've worked with some moms who will say, you know, my husband wants me to do this, but I still feel bad. And that's where I think it's up to them to be responsible for seeing how amazing they are and for seeing and owning how much they they do deserve it. And so I just hope that your words of wisdom can also help them. So thank you. Um, You have just so many great things to teach. I was wondering if maybe you can like narrow it down. Like if you just want everyone to know something when it comes to money, what, what would that something be?
0: Hmm. If I want everybody to know something when it comes to money, I would say I wouldn't want everyone to know how to make their money to work, work for them. Because I think that when we understand how to make our money work for us, it's easier for us to create more money that doesn't tax us physically and emotionally. Um, so, and thinking, you know, a lot of people talk about passive revenue and so forth. That's a big, that's a buzzword online. And it's a buzzword for a reason. And I'm, especially during this pandemic, I'm realizing how important it is because when I wrote my book, the money manual almost like two years ago, um, when I was pregnant, my goal was to have something that was like a physical manifestation of the work that I've done with fat Finance. But even this morning, I checked, I was checking my bank account and I had one of the biggest mums in the past 12 months last month. With that book. And it's just the power of passive income and creating something that allows your money to work for you. So that was an investment. Writing my book was an investment. Um, You know, paying an editor and everything else. And it was an investment of time and everything. And two years later, I'm still yielding the dividends from that. But maybe it's not a book. Maybe it is investing in the stock market. Maybe it is investing in a 529 education plan for your children. But maybe it is investing in the course that's going to help you figure out how to um make more money easily or just use the skill sets that you have um to generate more income. So I want everyone like you'll learn how to balance a budget. You'll you'll learn how to plug numbers in. There's software for that, but being intentional about allowing your money to create money is, um, that's one of the most empowering things. And I don't think enough people focus on that or know how to do it.
1: Mm, I love that. Thank you. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to managing personal finances. What are some of the big ones you hear with your clients?
0: Mm, that is difficult uh, there don't get me wrong there are some money philosophies or um principles that i'm like you know what i'm just not touching that um mm-mm. i I'm, I'll talk to my financial advisor about it. Um, and that's even me as a financial educator. But the basics, the basics are not that challenging. At the heart of um, sound financial decisions is spend uh, spend less than you make, spend less than you earn. Like that's that's the basis of it. And just it's not as difficult. Um, and I also want to remind women that women are actually better investors than men. I know that we see all these examples of the Warren Buffett's and everything else. But when it boils down to like the day-to-day average investor, women actually make better investment decisions than men, because we're usually the ones who kind of set it and forget it. Whereas men tend to meddle and try to outperform the market and time the market and everything else. And that usually works against them. And so women actually are better investors than men. I do think that also does boil down to our nature. Um, Women have intuition. We Mm -hmm. just we're intuitive like it's just one of our it's one of our great gifts is that we're intuitive um and i think that that serves us outside of you know just our daily scenarios but also serves us when it comes to investing
1: i was actually gonna i thought that would be the answer but i think that the a good answer is that we can also just let something sit and walk away but i thought it would be our intuition i mean i see so often that if we're my husband and i if we're gonna have to make like a big decision about something or spend some money somewhere he would be much more quick to say yes or no where i kind of sit back and i'm like does this feel right for us and he's like what do you mean does it feel right you know and i'm like well (laughs) let's really look at it like that you know and i think that that's so powerful to be able to do that and i think i think men can obviously access that too but i do think it's so important to like feel into i think something that you have to be very self-aware about too and, and believe that you deserve it as well so there's just so many interesting mindset um Games that can come into either spending money or receiving money and making Mm -hmm. money. So I just think that's so fascinating. Well, we got a lot of community questions and I'm so glad we still have some time because I I did a little bit of a call out for questions and we literally had questions from how to manage money and kids to how to manage money and food and home and then a bunch of miscellaneous. So I'm just going to shoot out some of the questions. And if you don't mind just helping us out and helping our listeners, I think this would be really fun and and, uh, supportive. So thank you for being willing to do that of so
0: course, absolutely the
1: first one i actually love the first one is what is your advice on giving money to kids when they do chores her husband so <laughs> this woman and the mom and the husband disagree on this and so she's just kind of curious what you think would be appropriate and beneficial
0: yeah um hmm I'm trying not to allow my personal bias to affect um, to impact this because like growing up, my I didn't get money for doing chores. My parents were like, that's what you're supposed to do. It's responsibility, um, which I do agree with. But I do think that it's important for, you know, it's important to teach your children responsibility and so forth and incentivizing that and in a manner. But I think that it also boils down to our culture of overworking and um, our society's predisposition to creating workers and saying, OK, you. Do a task, you get paid for it, and so one of my colleagues presented this up, um, this alternative, which was. They still have to do chores, but when it comes to allowance and receiving money, they get, they receive money for solving problems or finding solutions. And so they would create like for her niece, they would create, um, maybe these like hypothetical situations or maybe set the chore up in a certain way and kind of help them navigate it and use like something other than their physical, but use their brain to figure it out. And they would reward them for that, for creating solutions. And when we think about the people who are wealthiest in our society, It usually is the people who created solutions. And so rewarding and encouraging that early on. So I do think that children should be given money and should receive um, money and like, you know, be taught the importance of it, be taught like this, the value of it. This is what happens. Okay. I gave you $10. You went to the store and you wanted to buy something that was $11. You didn't have that. So we found an option, something else for a little less, and that allows you to save some money. Um, So they need to have that experience, but I just think that we can change our children's perception of like what's rewarded and so yeah i'm i'm all about imploring them to solve a problem and paying them and giving them a reward for that rather than, you know, work. Which mm, we I really
1: it. love that. That's a great idea. I've never thought about that. For me, when I was growing up, we had these uh, family meetings and we all had a little basket and in the basket we had this monopoly money and we all got allowances every week and we got to collect our monopoly money and we had a little <laughs> checkbook and they would teach, my parents would teach us how to write a check. They would teach us how to collect our money. If we were wanting to get something at the store, then we would have to give our Monopoly money to them so that we would
0: oh, that's so cute! Like our,
1: <laughs> I know it was really cute. And now I'm like looking back, I'm like, wow, that was really fun. Maybe we'll do that. And I just think at the end of the day, every family is going to choose a different way. There's no right or wrong way, but I really love your advice on don't always just make it task oriented so that they always associate money comes with doing something like a task. It could be, yeah, solving a problem or coming up with an idea, or I just think that that's brilliant. So thank you for that. I think yeah, the Yeah, that's appreciate a great that. question. Yeah. Okay. What about um, a mom has just tips to help teach young kids about money. So I guess this kind of went with the same approach is teaching them that it's not just about a task and money. Was there any other thing that you wanted to maybe answer with that question?
0: Yeah. Just helping them understand, like, you know, I think, I don't know when I realized that money, like there's a limit. Um, because I, my parents, they gave me allowance occasionally, but it wasn't consistently. And so it's like, I would ask them for things and be like, okay, well, there's no limit there. Like, let me just keep asking for things instead of understanding that there's a definite limitation. Like, here's your money that you wanted to buy something with and now it's gone. Um, so I think it is important not to create, not to impose limited thinking, but to also understand that um that you also want to be responsible with the money that you have um, and because sometimes it might not be an endless source in the moment um, And you know that kind of I'm, I'm I'm navigating this because I'm also the person who believes in standing in the ongoing and ever flowing um, space of abundance and like things will continue to come to me. but that there is this like this giving and the receiving of that. Um, and so I think it's just important for children to like, touch and understand money and like spend it. I I, I definitely think you should introduce them to how money works. Um, and then also, um, I, one of the things I enjoyed was being involved in my parents' budgeting process. When I got old enough, my mom would sit me down and show me like, okay, so this is how much mommy and daddy made. And I'd be like, Oh my God, we're rich. And she'd be like, no, we're not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this is how much mommy and daddy made. And this is, this is how much it costs to live in our house. And this is how much it costs for you to go to basketball camp. And this is how much it costs to pay for the lights. And this is how much it costs for groceries. Just like me understanding, like life costs money. Mm. Um, I think that's important too, because so many people, I meet people who are like, my parents never exposed me to any of this. And then I went off to college and I, or got my first job and I just, it was i felt bombarded yeah um by the demands and so in involving them in that um Setting a piggy bank, letting them save their own money, having you know valuing even the small amounts. So I think that's important. Is teaching children to value even a penny. Um, mm-hmm. A penny is still a penny, even though it's not as much as a quarter. It's still valuable too. Mm-hmm. So teaching them to value even the smallest currencies and so forth. I think Great those are really important.
1: Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Okay, a mom asked, "What type of savings account should I open when I have a baby?"
0: so you know there are a few you can open up i mean 529 you can open that type of savings account and then you can do a custodial account where you go to the bank and you're the custodian of the account but the account is actually your child's account Um, so you can do that as well and open a custodial account and then when they become a of age you can turn it over to them Um, and even if you don't want to go through all of that accounts are arbitrary so set up another bank account with an online bank that, you know, like maybe Capital One or someone else set up an online account. It's in your name, but you know, the purpose of that is to save money for your child. Mm-hmm. Like, and you know, if you want to keep it simple, you can do that. It doesn't have to be that nuanced. Don't get into, well, this one has a higher interest rate necessarily than the other, because at the end of the day, most of us aren't going to get rich off of interest rates unless we have like over a hundred thousand dollars sitting in the account. Mm-hmm. So just go with what's most convenient for you. What's the easiest and yeah, just go from there.
1: Great. Great. Thank you. And mom asked about a whole life insurance policy instead of a 529. Um, Mm. Is there anything you could speak on that? Is that too specific?
0: um well i mean they're, they're different purposes uh, a whole life insurance policy i i do know that you can they do amass cash value and you can borrow against them but i don't be, i personally i don't believe that a whole life insurance policy replaces the value of having a 529 i think that if you're going if you're choosing either or you should choose both um, but if you're choosing just one just understand like 529 is there for educational purposes there your child you can pull the money out for non-educational expenses but you will be um, penalized for that, but you can still pull that out. With a whole insurance policy, the whole purpose of a life insurance policy is that if something was to happen to you, your your, um, survivors receive that money, but you can't borrow against a whole policy, but it does affect the value of that policy. Um, I just... I think both. It's not either or in that scenario.
1: Okay. Got it. Thank you. That, that'll be helpful. Um, how do you save for college? So, I mean, I would assume the 529 would be the one to save for college, but would that be then your tip for saving for college?
0: Yeah, 529 plan. One of the things that we're very intentional about with our 529 plan for our son is, you know, I didn't do Easter baskets. I put money in his Easter egg. His mm-hmm. Easter egg was his 529 contribution for his birthday. Um, I asked people to make contributions to his 529 plan or just venmo money that I put in his his account and so forth. So those are ways that you can do it, even if you don't necessarily have the means to do it yourself, um, asking others around you, um, even and make it a family effort. So my father makes direct deposits to my son's 529 plan um, along with me and my husband. And Great. so there are ways to do it and you can do it, you know, small increments matter. So you could do $25 biweekly or whatever it may be, but that adds up over the course of the year that money is invested and So it's still growing over the course of your child's life.
1: Great. Thanks. And this is a good question from a mom. How do you plan a budget for pregnancy, birth and infancy?
0: Mm. oh yeah (laughs) that's like an entire podcast I know (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, um, pregnancy uh, you know one thing you do want to understand is your medical cost and the how much it's going to cost you out of pocket to birth your child and what that postpartum is going to look like so you want to in going into it you want to determine how much your costs are going to be Um, postpartum you also want to during your pregnancy, understand what will be the impacts to income in your household. Are you going to be staying home? Are you, you know, what happens if you want to take a longer maternity leave or don't want to go back to work? Um, understanding what the budget needs to be for you to maintain your expenses and what's expected of your significant other to maintain your level of comfort and if any medical bills will be due at that time. Um, so that's the, you know, during pregnancy, have an understanding of how much it's going to cost you so you're not surprised when you're sleep deprived and trying mm-hmm. to figure out how everything else falls together um, and then in infancy uh, i think it does tend to get easier because you start to hit your stride but be mindful of um, what type of childcare arrangements you plan to have um, whether you want you know an in-home nanny and begin pricing that or if you're going to put your child in daycare begin pricing daycare well before it's time to put your child in daycare because you might be surprised by how much it costs in your area um, and then also being being familiar with your insurance and what your child's health care will cost and how that will affect your family um, health care costs as well um any you know like their well care visits and so forth and if you believe in immunizations and everything else and you know also having money set aside for emergencies because children do things <laughs> that you just never imagine mm-hmm. and you know the next thing you know like I, I remember and just i know i'm going off on this one but i remember my son we did take him to the emergency room one week after his birthday because he was dehydrated because of a stomach virus he yeah. caught at his birthday party and it's like oh okay so now we have an emergency bill and everything else and mm-hmm. um, just things happen And so being prepared for that and uh, having money aside for those emergencies that may happen.
1: Yes. Oh, what a sad birthday, like post-birthday. Oh, he
0: had a ball at his birthday. (laughs) And he he was fine two days later. It was me. I caught it from him and I was like knocked out for like a week and a half. (laughs) It's
1: so tough. It's funny. You kind of do have to plan for that. It's when the kids get sick, the family's also probably going to have to stay home from work. So that's another thing to... to, to kind of arrange. But I think just to answer this question and to focus on it is, it really is a lot about planning and doing as much preparation as possible. And I love that you're even thinking about, yeah, how much does daycare cost? How much does Nanny cost? Just focus on that all the way in the beginning before it even comes up so that there's no surprises.
0: I think that's really empowering. And I did write a book called Financially Preparing for a Baby. Um, you can find that in my personal um, Instagram link. But I wrote a book specifically to help people navigate, like, the planning process and so forth, preparing for a baby, and then after they have the baby during the postpartum. Because it's very involved. It's not just, you know, it's it, it, it's there's a lot of things you might not be thinking about um, that will become things. And I actually wrote that book while my son was like four weeks postpartum. So things were very fresh.
1: This is great, Tony. I didn't even know that I'm going to put that in our show notes. Okay. So mom's listening. If you're driving or something, uh, it's just right in the show notes. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Let's go ahead and go to a different category, money and food. So we've got a lot of very healthy eaters who listen to our Uh show, which I think is amazing and healthy eating can be expensive. So one of the moms says, how do I budget and afford eating healthy? My whole paycheck goes to good food.
0: Okay, well... (laughs) Hmm. And the other mom
1: says, how do I prioritize costs and budget without compromising on good food?
0: I mean, well, one of the things that I definitely realized because I um, went plant-based last year and plant-based for me was actually more affordable. Mm-hmm. Even if I was eating organic, it was more affordable. What was expensive was um, good quality meats and seafood and mm-hmm. so forth. That was ridiculously expensive. So in that situation, I would say, you know, you moderation, like determining, you know, okay, is it required in every meal that we have? have grass-fed beef from New Zealand or you know do we have to you know just being mindful of um, the moderation doesn't mean that you don't have that you won't do it um, but maybe you do it in moderation so every meal is so maybe some meals are vegetarian meals which are considerably more affordable Um, and then thinking about okay maybe one two three days a week we'll do you know something that's that cost a little more money Um, but then also you know that you do save money by dining in I know that we always, we don't always want to um, prepare meals. I was joking. My husband, I was like, I am so tired of cooking during this pandemic. I'm just, I don't even want my food anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, but you do save a considerable amount of money eating in. And that is just building staples in your closet, in your cabin, in your pantry, where you could literally go in and create a meal and um, 15 minutes or less. And I think it that, that requires you to just explore different recipe options and so forth and always be on the lookout for things i think that you guys create great resources for moms and so forth to think about okay these are easy whole meals that i could feed my family on and it doesn't cost me a lot of money and it doesn't cost a lot of time because time is um, very important too
1: yes um, that's excellent and there are there's are so many great resources on the whole mama's club uh website so that's a great answer thank you Hmm. Um, now another question was about money and the home. And so a mom asks, how do you pay a mortgage off sooner or is it a good time right now to refinance my mortgage?
0: Hmm, That's a good question. Um, So some people are in a rush to pay a mortgage off sooner. I think one of the questions you have to ask yourself is why. Um, I think some people, you know, they want to live debt free and so forth and they want to pay the mortgage off so they they don't have it over their head, hanging over their head. The easiest way to pay a mortgage off is to get a um, low interest rate. So if you, and the interest rates are significantly lower right now, if it is to your benefit and it is going to save you a substantial amount of money, then yes, refinance. But you also want to take into consideration the cost of refinance and making sure that that won't cancel out any benefit um, or any financial benefit of refinancing. But then also I think it's important to ask yourself, what else could this money be used for? Because when I'm talking to people who are like, we're gonna aggressively pay off our mortgage, I'm like, okay, well, what about if you were to use this money to put aside and save and so you could purchase an investment property that would pay for itself as well as pay off your mortgage? What about that? So now you have money working for you in two ways instead of just, okay, now I'm debt-free. It took me 15 years to get here when maybe, or it took you 10 years to get here, where maybe you could have purchased an income property that would have you know, freed up the income that you were hoping to free up by being debt-free. So asking yourself that question, but refinancing is a good option to help people save money. Just wanna make sure that the cost of refinancing don't cancel out the benefit.
1: Great, that's excellent. Do you have time for three more questions? I still had to (laughs) figure out. I said, okay, you're doing so great. And it's just such great information. So I appreciate your time and I value it. So, okay, just last three. This is a really random question. I think it's a very important question. Should you always call hospitals to ask for discounts on
0: bills? Do you know this Mm. answer? I think that closed mouths don't get fed and you don't know what's available to you unless you ask. Mm-hmm. So I think that you should. Um, most hospitals do have a department where they it's like uh, customer or patient assistance programs and so forth of that nature, where you can ask if they have any um, any programs or services that will help you reduce your bill. So I think you should always look into that. Yeah. And I don't think it just is limited to hospitals. I think it's anything that you're financially responsible for that you'd be like, hey, maybe there's a break that I can get here. Ask for it.
1: I love that answer. Excellent. I love having people be their own advocates. There's never going to be a disadvantage of asking. And so i love that. Thank you. Okay. We have a mom who is going to get her master's and she asked about any student loan advice
0: right now. Um, you know, honestly, right now, I think that this, this pandemic is going to change college. I I do. I think it's going to change the collegiate experience at least for the next couple of years because people are going to be wary about gathering and settings. It's changing the workforce and changing workplaces and um, companies are going out of business. So I think you just want to be, two things you should take into consideration is, you know, what is the return on investment of this degree? Um, And if there are ways that you can fund that degree without taking on student loans because things are relatively uncertain. There are grants you know, reaching out to the financial aid offices and so forth at these universities, finding out if they have any programs available for mothers or you'd be surprised like what kind of endowments or grants they have from alumni and so forth that most people don't know about. So looking for alternative sources and ways to fund your education rather than just putting it on yourself and taking on student loans. Um, but I, I definitely would question the return on investment of a degree right now and maybe even considering, I don't know, I won't say put it on home Especially if you're putting, if you're in progress, but if you haven't enrolled yet, maybe just seeing where things go because it can be an expensive investment that we don't know if it's going to be worth the investment in the coming years.
1: I love your brain. I I like. I just see you looking at all the possibilities. No, (laughs) no, but I love that. It, It really comes from a very abundant type of mindset. I didn't even think to have this mommy like call the financial office look for endowment look for grants look for this like why not you know ask for that you know i think we all so much just like well this is what you do and then you do this and then you do this it's like well wait a minute think outside of the box look at all the different possibilities what other opportunities are there and i think that that really comes with a very abundant mindset of like hey i could do what i want to do in life i just have to get creative ask for it and then see what works
0: you know and try this ways, so mm-hmm. many ways to get it done and i just know that personally because i have a cousin who works in a financial aid department and she's like there's so much money that we don't give away because people don't ask about it oh my goodness um, so yeah well, the, i'm so glad i
1: asked that question so thank you to yeah. the mom who asked that <laughs> okay i've got one <laughs> final one and th- that is besides a savings account what is the most important way to save money
0: Mm, Consistently and making it inconvenient. Um, Consistently. One of the biggest issues that I see with a lot of people is they don't save consistently. It is like, oh, okay, I saved money here and I saved money there. It's not a consistent practice. It's kind of when they get around to it. So by saving it consistently and making it inconvenient for you. So great, we have a checking account set up, but is that checking account inconvenient? And for most people who are overspenders, they need an inconvenient savings account because otherwise they're going to be tempted to draw from their savings account for non-emergency purchases. Um, so by inconvenient, it means that a bank that's not at your primary institution, maybe it's at a sister institution or a separate institution that still has online banking, but it's not as easy for you to spend that money. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that is really is in- inconvenient.
1: <laughs> okay. I love that. Well, it's a great way to end. And I just thank you so much for your time. Uh, very knowledgeable, just a great personality. I can easily learn more and more from you. So where can people find more about you?
0: Thank you. This has been so much fun. Uh, You can find me at MyFabFinance. That is my financial education resource. And we always post tips and tools and strategies to help you live a better financial life. Um, So that's uniform, um, uniformly branded on all social media platforms, my fab FAB finance. And within that bio on Instagram, you can find me personally, Tanya.Rapley um, to, you know, follow more of my personal journey as a mompreneur, as an entrepreneur and someone who is moving into more enlightened spiritual assistance.
1: Mm, wonderful. Thank you so much, Tanya. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Man, I love that. I love Tanya and maybe I just love her for her positive outlook on abundance and just creating some positivity around this really tough time. So I just hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I have a request. If you like this episode, please do share with a friend who you think can benefit from this. You know, we love helping moms all around the world and sharing is caring. So please do share. As a reminder, you can visit our website at homemomasclub.com forward slash podcast to review show notes, find past episodes, and leave comments and questions for future shows. Please remember that the views and ideas presented on this podcast are for informational purposes only. All information presented on the podcast is for informational purposes and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, Diagnosis and or medical treatment of a healthcare provider. Consult with your healthcare provider before starting any diet, supplement regimen, or determine the appropriateness of the information shared on in this podcast, or if you have any suggestions regarding your treatment plan. Now go on, have a good day, and nourish and nurture yourself and your family.